As Aaron says and reminds us, we've been working our way through the very central key book in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. And that's such a rich book that you can come at it from a number of different angles. And what we have done, and I think it's paid off for us, is seeing that 1 Corinthians is presenting the church with an antidote. An antidote, of course, is a medicine or a drink or something you take if you're sick, or even more, if you've knowingly or unknowingly imbibed poison. And Paul is showing the people there in Corinth, this brand new church. This letter was probably written in the late 50s, 57 AD, something like that. So it's a, it's a, one of the earlier letters in the New Testament uh, that Jesus died in 33, OD, 33 AD. So only a couple of decades later now, this church is up and running, but it's got some issues. Some lies have seeped into the people's thinking, and it's become a form of poison in their walk with the Lord. So Paul, in the letter, is giving them the antidote to help them recover from the wrong things they have imbibed. That's what we're going to see. And this comes to a head in some ways when we get to this uh, this final installment, the chapter 15, there is actually a 16th chapter in the book, which is mainly composed of greetings. But this morning is tackling one of their major errors that they had bought into, perhaps without knowing it. So the antidote of a gospel-centered life, and the way we're going to see it this morning is this. He gives us the victory. And those words are, in fact, a quote from chapter 15, verse 57. He gives us the victory, the idea being, of course, that God wins. He won over death on the morning of the third day when he raised Jesus, and he's going to win even more at the last day. The Bible's got these key days that it presents. The third day, when he raised Jesus from the tomb, but then even more climactically, the last day, at the very end of the age. And we are closer to that day now than Paul was then. And on that day, he's not just going to defeat death, because it's already defeated, according to the Bible. He's going to destroy it, which is different, by raising us like he raised Jesus from the dead. He gives us the victory. God wins, and so do we. But to have that victory, we need to make sure we're not buying into things that are untrue. And that's what the whole letter is about, particularly chapter 15. So I'm going to read to you some selections from the chapter. It's very long. It's one of the longer chapters in the New Testament. So we're not going to read uh, every verse. And what's on the screen is a bit selected because I've only included on the screen the verses we're going to be talking about. So I warmly commend extensive patient study of the whole chapter on your own. So here we go. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. That's how they had come to Christ. Which you received. That's how they came to Christ. And in which you stand. Pretty much they were standing. And by which you were being saved. If 
if you hold fast to the word, like clinging to something, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, that Christ died for our sins. We just did something this morning with bread and wine that remembers that him that dying for sins. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It was part of an ancient promise going back many centuries. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried just to certify that he was dead. He was a dead man. If you had had a team of paramedics there to check him out, they would have all agreed, this man's dead. That's why he had to be buried. In the New Testament, makes quite a significance of that, that he was raised on the third day. He was really dead, and then he was really alive on the third day, again, in accordance with the Scriptures. This is all unfolding according to ancient promises. Next slide. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? What's up with that? Paul wants to know, talking to his friends. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Oh. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. I like Paul. He's a straight shooter. This is not a minor feature. How do you serve communion? What color should the carpets be? This is, is the gospel true or isn't it? And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep That means he's not the last one. He's not going to be the only one. He was just the first one. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, like the first part of the harvest. Then at his coming, when he returns in glory, those who belong to Christ. (laughs) That's why it is all important that we do indeed belong to him by faith. If that's not true for you, Go to the Lord and talk to him about it or get someone that you know that can talk to you. Though, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule like the devil and the Antichrist and all that. After destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Next slide, verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed, and this is going to be the heart of what we look at in the next few minutes, and this is why this thing of there being no resurrection was such deadly poison. The last enemy to be destroyed, praise the Lord, is death. We need to get our heads around this, folks. In Scripture, death is an enemy. We tend to think of it as, well, it's just kind of an unfortunate fact of life. It's like bad weather. It's like whatever. No. In Scripture, it's an enemy. Very clear, Paul is. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But if the dead are not raised, oh, 
Who cares then? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived, Paul says. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as as is right. And do not go on sinning. This is a stern warning here. Do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. This people in the church. Some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. You know, Paul was an encourager. One reason I like this church is that there's encouragement here. Many of you have been huge encouragements to me, and Paul was mainly an encourager. But but when rebuke or correction were needed, he wasn't afraid to do it. And verse 34 is one of those. Wake up from your drunken stupor. Verse 37, now in farming, I, I supplied that because to get the context. Now in ordinary farming, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, the body that goes into the ground at the funeral, what is sown is perishable. What is raised on that wonderful day when the trumpet sounds is imperishable. Let your brain wrap around that for a moment. When God raises you from the dead, you will be imperishable. You'll never get sick. I don't think we'll ever get tired, although I don't know. Maybe that's the debate point. But we just will go on and we'll always be as young and as fresh as we were the first 10,000 years before and all that. Imperishable. I mean, just think about that. The dead will be raised imperishable. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, you know, a trumpet in the Bible announced victory in battle. It announced a battle, but it also announced victory. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, announcing Christ's final victory, and the dead will be raised, how imperishable, and we, sh- and we shall be changed." For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on, the, put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. How Is there any doubt as to the outcome of this final battle? Are they about evenly matched, God and death? Well, Paul answers that. Death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Think of a blue whale and a minnow. That's the scale of what we're looking at. Then shall, death, then shall come to pass this saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? It's been in control for many, 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 many centuries, but now it's finished. O death, where is your victory? 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Like a tyrant that's been kicked out of power. 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And we'll look at this in a moment. The, the, the literal, in the original language there actually says, um, who, who is continually giving us. It's a, that kind of a tense in Greek. He is continually giving us the victory. I love that. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The background to what's going on here is this. Paul had preached the gospel in Corinth. People had received it, but wrong ideas had seeped in, notably that there was actually, in fact, no resurrection. Some there were claiming. Paul is addressing this serious situation, and he basically draws out two issues. One, God raised Christ, and God will raise us. We'll call that one issue. And secondly, he is continually giving us the victory. So there's victory over death, all wrapped up in this God for Christ, and God for Christ and us at the end of the age. So these ideas are the poison and the antidote. If we can have my next slide here. Think of these two bottles, things you would drink. One is the poison that many in the church in Corinth had been deliberately or undeliberately drinking from. The idea that the dead are not raised. And what they failed to see was if you say there's no resurrection, and then you start to remember, wait a minute, death is an enemy and this whole thing is a war, then what you're really saying is there's an enemy out there more powerful than God which for Christians is a rather serious error. If we somehow have bought into an idea that there's an enemy more powerful than God, it's pretty hard to trust him and pretty hard to worship him. But Paul's got an antidote. He gives us the victory. He's already won on the morning of the third day, and he will give that victory to us. He gives us the victory he already won. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Okay, let's see how Paul, all of that was introduction. You're being very patient. Let's see how Paul plays out these ideas. First thing to note, he gives us the victory. I want us to take that statement home today. He gives us the victory. And the ultimate way he will do that is the dead will be raised imperishable. The poison, of course, is that people were believing there's no resurrection, which was really saying, without, whether they realized it or not, that there was an enemy out there more powerful than God. The antidote was believing that God will raise us imperishable. Okay, next slide. In the big story, death, as we've already noted, is an enemy. I say big story, I mean the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Adam and Eve till the last days. That's the big story. When Adam and Eve make that fateful and tragic choice in the garden to, in contravention of what God had told them, they took from the tree of knowledge. That was rebellion. It was high treason. And God said if they took from that tree, they would die. 
they took from that tree and they died. And after they had eaten from the tree, but while they were still alive, they didn't die right away. They went on, they had children, they raised a family, everything else, but they had lost their original relationship with God. And most tragically, they had become mortal because in scripture, death was not part of the original plan. We were created immortal and we lost that through sin. So in Genesis 3.19, God is speaking to the now mortal Adam and Eve. And he says very sobering words. He says, dust you are, because he made them out of dust, and to dust you will return. Sobering words, tragic words. To dust you will return. That's Genesis 3.19. Now because God's faithful, He refuses to give up on his world. And he starts making promises that one day he's going to dethrone death. One of those promises is in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2, and it says this. Now, this takes on extra depth, this promise, when we recall what God said to Adam Back in Eden, dust you are and to dust you will return. Daniel gives a promise from God and it says this, multitudes who sleep, and often you know in the Bible, sleeping is an image for death. So Daniel says multitudes multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth. Okay, this is not regular sleep. It's sleeping in the dust in the cemetery. Okay, he's talking about death. But the way he describes it uses the image of dust because he, Daniel, is deliberately echoing what happened in Genesis. Dust you are, to dust you will return. Daniel says multitudes who sleep in the dust will awake. They will wake up. They will wake up We later find in the Bible at the sound of a rather loud trumpet. That trumpet's going to be so loud it's going to blow you right out of the grave. Multitudes multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake at the end of the age when the trumpet sounds. However, there was one person that God raised before the last day. He's the first fruits of that huge multitude that God will raise at the end of the age. That's Jesus. He gets raised on the third day, namely three days after they killed him. He's raised on the third day. Now, when you go through the book of Acts, which is all about the apostles and how they were commissioned by Jesus to go out and preach, in several places in Acts, they make some strange, what to, to us often sounds like strange comments about the details of Jesus' death and resurrection. And one of them is this. When Jesus died, God did not allow his body to decay. That's three or four times Acts says that. One is, is in 1344. He did not, God did not let the Messiah's body decay. Why is that important? Another way to phrase it is to say he did not let the Messiah's body return to 
dust. The dust judgment, to dust you are and to dust you will return, had applied to every person who ever lived from Adam on until the morning of the third day. God stepped in and he broke that curse. Now, death is still in effect until Christ returns the second time. But as of now, as of the morning of the third day, the power of death is broken. Death is still around, but it's no longer in charge. Its days are numbered. Christ was the first one to get freed from the dust judgment. He did not return to the dust. He was dead, but then God stepped in, and raised him forever. He raised Jesus imperishable. And then in 1 Corinthians 15.52, we're told that that is what God at the end of the age will do for you if you are trusting in him. He'll raise you imperishable just the way he raised Jesus. God wins And he gives us the victory. He gives us the victory. Take that thought home. You know what? He gives us. Those five words. He gives us the victory. If you've got that now, you you can go out to this cafe around the corner and have a coffee or something like that because that's the main gist of what I want to say. He gives us the victory. Don't go home without that. I love this song this morning. One of the lines said, um, the grave has no claim on me. Jesus was able to say that on the morning of the third day. And at the last day when that trumpet goes off, if you're trusting in Jesus, you'll be able to say that too. The grave has no claim on me. Why? Because he gives us the victory. Okay, back to our two bottles. One more picture of my famous artwork here. The poison says death wins. I guess God ran into an enemy that he couldn't handle. That's what these people were implying. The antidote, praise the Lord, is that not only did he win, but he gives that victory then to us. He gives us the victory. Another way Paul unfolds this. He gives us the victory. Next slide. This shows us that our bodies matter to God. The poison would get in and trigger some strange reasoning in people's thoughts. People would think, well, death's going to win. There is no resurrection. I'm convinced of that. I guess that means death wins. So I guess my body doesn't matter. It's only a matter of time. So you get this thing, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What the heck? The antidote, and of course that will lead to all kinds of immoral living, all kinds of unhealthy living, the last thing we need. The antidote is realizing this. God cares enough about our bodies to raise them from the dead, imperishable. Let that thought percolate through your brain. 
God cares enough about your physical body, the one you're walking around in this morning, that he will raise that body from the grave imperishable. Imperishable. Your body matters to God. So live pure. We can't go around thinking, well, I guess he's not bothered with it because I'm going to die and it'll decay eventually. Well, yeah, maybe it will if there's a long time between your death and the return of Christ. But he will recreate you out of the dust at the end of the age and give you an imperishable body. He will renew your body. That's how much it matters to him. In your body, one, live pure. He cares enough about your body to raise it. Imperishable, so live pure. Paul, of course, as we've noted, he was obliged in verse 43 to give a fairly strong rebuke. Wake up. Wake up. God's going to wake you from the grave at the end of the age by that loud trumpet, but maybe you need to wake up now. Wake up from your drunken stupor. He's using drunken stupor just as an image of careless, immoral, dangerous living. If you're in a drunken stupor, the issue is to get sober and to wake up. If, there's, if you're struggling with something going on in your life right now, a behavioral thing, down inside, down in your heart, you know it's not right, you know it's not good, you know it's not healthy, And if you feel it's got such a grip on you, you can't walk out of it, you know what to do. Call on the Lord and then maybe pull somebody aside that you trust and talk to them about it. You don't have to fight battles like that on your own. Take steps. That's all I'm appealing for. Take steps to do what you need to do to wake up. In your body, live pure. In your body, live healthy. Did you know there's a man who uh, attends this church with a heart condition, fairly significant one, who has been known to forget to take his meds. To make matters more complicated, this man's wife is a former registered nurse, and she has been known to make some rather pointed comments about his absent-mindedness and forgetting to take his meds. Live healthy. You know what? I'm still here. (laughs) Hallelujah. Live healthy. I'm joking, but you know what? At one level, this is no joke. For me as a post-heart attack person, and for you if you're diabetic or you know, whatever, whatever health issues, under-eating, over-eating, saints, hear me. Your body matters to God. Live pure, live healthy. How do I know your body and mine matter to God? We know this because he's going to raise those bodies imperishable. That's how important they are to him. If he values them that much, we need to value them. Wake up. Back one final time to the two bottles. One of, these are two totally op, total opposite ways to live. The poison, it was seeping in in Corinth from the surrounding culture. 
And the church in every age faces this challenge. We have the gospel, but the culture around us doesn't believe the gospel, and the culture's ideas can begin to seep in. When Velma and I lived in England, the, the church we attended, the building for the church was right on the Thames River, the famous Thames River. And from the back wall of the church to the edge of the river was about the same distances from here to that wall. It was very close. And one year, I think it was 2006, there was a mama of a flood in England. Huge extra rainfall, nobody counted on it. And we had water this deep in the first floor, the ground floor of that church. Some of us were over there sloshing around and trying to get rid of the water. And I mean, it was a mess. It was gross. It was something from the outside, <laughs> river out of the Thames, was, shall we say, seeping into the building. And Paul is telling the Corinthians people, there are, there are, there are ideas. You've got something seeping into your church. It's worse than water. It's lies. Theological lies. Saying that death wins. Not in God's world, it won't. Its days are numbered. That's the poison. Death wins. The antidote is he gives us the victory. Now, finally, the third way Paul highlights this idea of the victory. And this is the point that I'm struggling the most to articulate. So, Holy Spirit, we just, would you help us out in these next couple of minutes? He gives us the victory in the promise that our work is not in vain. When I say now our work, I mean this. The things we do in life that ultimately we are hoping will honor the Lord and serve Him and advance His kingdom in the world, they're the things we do because they're right that we do them since we're Christians. Those are our work. The promise that our work is not in vain. Now, here's where the poison could do its damage. The poison would get into your thoughts and say, well, if death's going to win, so whatever it is you're trying to do, what's the use? <laughs> what's the use? I won't ask for a show of hands how many people here, how many people here have ever felt that but it's probably almost everybody. At some point about some issue, you've thought, oh, what's the use? Because we start thinking what I'm doing is pointless. What I'm doing, my work is in vain. The antidote to that kind of struggle is this. God is... In the Greek here, the literal word is continually giving us the victory. So be steadfast, knowing that your labor, that in the Lord, I left out the most important words in the whole thing, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not, Repeat, not. Aaron, everything you do for this church is not in vain. And if you get your what's the use days, it's a lie from the devil. It's not in vain. And I can say that by name to every person in the room this morning. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
The victory God promises us. He gives us the victory. Next. Yeah, that's, that's right. The victory is future. At the last trumpet. But the victory is also today. He is continually giving us the victory. Moment by moment. Day by day. The victory means knowing that in the Lord, our work is not in vain. He will take it in hand when we do it, whatever we do. It may be flawed. Of course, being sinners as we are, forgiven sinners, but we're sinners, our works will be flawed. We can give them to him, and once they're in his hands, there's a promise. It won't be in vain. He'll take over. Suppose you got a job as a stonemason. There's a picture of me in one of my projects I built. Suppose you got a job as a stonemason and the site foreman, the architect, whoever, comes out and says, I need you to carve us out ten blocks of stone and he gives you a certain, certain dimension, so many inches by so many inches by so many inches, at right angles, rectangular. That's what we need you to do. So you patiently get your mallet out and your chisel. Knock, 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 bang, bang, bang. Maybe it's tiring, maybe you get dust in your face. Eventually, they're done. Site foreman comes around and says, how are those blocks coming? And you say, well, I got them done and most of them are pretty close to the dimensions you told me. I hope they're okay. I don't think they're perfect. And the site foreman happens to be a wise and understanding and realistic person. He says, listen, give them to me. I'll turn them over to the architect. Are you with me? Architect with a capital A. He's a carpenter. And the word that the Greek gospels use for carpenter when referring to Christ really in those days meant stonemason. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. I'll turn these over to the architect. If one of them's three-eighths of an inch too short, he knows. He'll know. Whatever work works you're doing, you, you look at them and you are really, really conscious of the limitations and the flaws in your parenting, in the way you interact within your marriage, in your involvement here in the church, in whatever the main thing you're carrying around is that stone was three-eighths of an inch too short. And I don't think I got it at right angles. That's become center focus for you, the flaws. The site foreman, that's the Holy Spirit, he says, give it to me now. I'll turn it over to the architect, Jesus. He'll know what to do with it. Once that happens, then you know something. Bang, 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 bang. It wasn't in vain. You don't need to be subject to what's the use because God is faithful. Six takeaways, just a few seconds on each one. 
God defeated death on the third day. We remember that at Easter. That tomb was empty. There's a detail. I'm going to go more than 15 seconds on this first one. There's a detail we only get in Matthew's gospel that I love. Usually Mark is my favorite gospel. But on one detail, Matthew's my favorite. The morning of the third day, an angel descends from heaven. The Roman guards are there like that. An angel descends, rolls the boulder away from the entrance to the tomb. And you know what he does? You only get this in Matthew. He gets up and he sits on the stone. I love that moment. It speaks of victory. It speaks of death being defeated. God defeated death on the third day in Jesus. Second, he will destroy death, not just defeat it, but destroy it. At the last day, when he raises us from the grave. Three, he will raise us, but he won't just raise us that we might die again. That's the difference between Lazarus and what he'll do for us at the end of the age. Lazarus eventually died again. But that won't happen when we're raised imperishable. There will be no more death. Your body matters. So live pure and live healthy. Take your pills. Five, he gives us the victory continually. Number six, and perhaps for some of us here this morning, this is the most important in the lot. No work given over to God will be in vain. Hand it over to the architect. He'll know what to do.